Blog Talk Radio. It's July 28, 2019. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown, and I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. We say this at the beginning of every show, but this is a good time to reinforce it. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members and the interest of the membership. Working for a Living Radio Show is a member of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters and is syndicated on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, and Listen Now. That's the name of the syndicated uh, site. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We hope that everyone had a wonderful week and that you had fun and that you stayed safe. Let's see if we can find that brother, Jeff Brown. Jeff, are you there? I'm trying to hide. (laughs) Trying to hide? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. What's up, trying to hide? Nothing. Okay. All right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. well, we're we're doing okay. You have a pretty good size show tonight, part of your part. Is uh, pretty yeah. good. We'll lend you a little support as it goes along, though. Anything going on in your area? Um, I just got to help out some friends on some government type of work, and um, that's what I'll be doing. And then okay, so you're going to help some people doing some government work? Yeah, they got some problems, and I'm going to be helping them out a little bit. Okay. So. Okay, that's good. Yeah, well, you know, that's always nice to be able to help somebody, and we do a lot of that. You know, our team in general does a lot of that. Uh, so uh, what else is going on? Uh, it's been kind of hot, although we've had some pleasant days this week here in the Michigan area. little rain come through here a little earlier, a little south of town. Temperature dropped 11 degrees in 90 seconds. Oh, my. Yeah, that was something to watch uh, when the rain hit. So that was interesting. Uh, do you have any flooding down there, Jeff? No, we didn't get much rain this past week. I just got a text message that Macomb uh, County this is under a, a severe weather alert. Okay. It's just north of Detroit. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's okay. it's pretty nice all week. Okay. Well, good. It's been kind of nice. That's probably that storm that went through here a little earlier about this time now. So uh, we have a lot to cover tonight, so let's uh, start this, Jeff. I mean, uh, like I said, it's been nice around here. I was actually able to go watch a, a ball game uh, over the weekend, and it was uh, – Pretty nice, you know, I was watching baseball. I don't get to do that very often. Last year I missed it a whole year, and so I got one in at least this year. So that was kind of fun. Uh, they lost 
the team that I was there uh, watching, but it was still fun. So, uh, having said all that, let's get to announcements. Uh, do you you want to? Uh, let's see. Take. Uh, I'll take the first one, and then you, every other one. Jeff, how's that? Uh, working for a Living Radio Show continues to support Medicare for Everyone. That does not mean private insurance companies are going to go out of business. I don't know who's answering questions like that, but they shouldn't. Okay, we continue to support the end of corporations being considered legal citizens to support support the UAW's boycott of a Mexican-built Chevy Blazer. There's a lot of ads for that lately, so get the chance. Tell everybody it's a Mexican vehicle. And we oppose the Detroit 3's uh, corporation uh, decisions to outsource and move work out of the United States while they continue to target the U.S. with their sales. Okay, Jeff. Uh, number two, thank you to our of our new listeners. Please keep telling just one friend a week about our humble show. Again, many thanks to all of our listeners. Right. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's been doubling virtually every month, so thank you for telling one more person about this show if you find value. Uh, f- uh, number three, Ford reported a second quarter net income of 148 million, down uh, uh, 1.7 billion or million from the same period in 2008. This said 1.7 billion, so uh, that's down substantially. Uh, yeah. So okay, Joe. Comments on that? People are just can't afford the cars right now. So yeah. We got a lot of a lot of people out of work. Right. No, we're not before. Okay, go ahead. Nissan posted a 98.5% plunge in the first quarter operating profit to 1.6 billion yen, which turns out to be 14.80 million as it continues to struggle in North America. Okay. Uh, Nissan uh, Motor Company on Thursday also said that it would slash 12,500 jobs globally by 2022 and cut output to rein in costs as it suffers from sluggish sales and rising costs in the U.S. market. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, things don't look good. Number six. FCA second quarter report will come out on July 31st. It's just a couple Seven. days from now. Yep, right. Uh, Thursday or Wednesday. I'm sorry. Uh, General Motors second quarter report will come out on Thursday, August 1st. Remember, it's contract year, so expect to see bad numbers from these companies. Number eight, July 26, U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill to rescue the multi-employer Teamsters pension plan, and it will be sent to the U.S. Senate for their consideration. Uh, I heard that Moscow Mitch met with some of the Teamsters, and he walked out of the meeting. 
Washington, D.C. So that was Friday, I believe it was. Yeah, that kind of goes to show you how much they think about their, you know, they forget we're just not the working class. We're also the buying class as well, you know. So Mm -hmm. we just buy all this stuff. We're not paid properly or lose our pensions, then we can't buy much now, can we? Uh, number nine, the Wall. Yep. Number nine, the Wall Street Journal reported that the plan to save truckers and miners' pension is running out of time. Yep. July seventeenth, Red Shirt Wednesday is having more and more participation. Keep it up, folks. Right. Everybody's talking. This now and, and how important it is and how little they have to do to participate. Uh, it's reported that some of the people are wearing their uh, uh, Blaze uh, or uh, Dayglow yellow uh, shirts as opposed to the uh, red because they don't have to wear their vest that day and they can not wear the vest in Dayglow. So uh, as long as you're showing support in some unified way, uh, I don't think anybody's got a problem. It's not our program. We just support it here. It's the international UAW's uh, uh, program. So uh, as you can participate, you know, any way, uh, it's important that we support our bargaining teams at this time, uh, regardless of what's going on. They need our support. Okay, 11. Uh, please let us remember Leanne Panzer, an alternate committee person for UAW Local 2145, Grand Rapids, Michigan, who passed away uh, July 24, 2017. But as we remember her in this week, uh, let's also remember that domestic violence is a terrible thing. And this woman was a victim victim of domestic violence and a murder-suicide. So please, everybody, think about what you're going to do before you do such things. Please just, you know, and, you know, make it as easy as possible to get along. Okay? Everybody. Okay, Joe. Detroit three supervisors have been directed to talk with members about the contract. I just lied on. Yeah, you just lied on. <laughs> I was on the floor. I just lied on. Yeah, right. So they they're going to talk. Uh, you know, we suggested last week that you not talk to your supervisor about union matters, uh, and if they do approach you, that just call your committee person about union matters. Okay, thanks to our many uh, worldwide investigative reporters and our domestic investigative reporters as well, and all our listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, messages and email. Uh, I'll go with the first one, and we'll rotate like we've been doing. Uh, what if the rank and file invest in our own bank? We start an actual bank, then slowly move mortgages and things like that over to our bank. Perhaps... Uh, until perhaps eventually we get all of our rank-and-file union brothers and sisters within our own banking, not a federal credit union, but a privately-owned banking set up 
to help union brothers and sisters. Now, here would be one perk. If we were to strike house payment mortgages and car payments, uh, things like that, would stop during strikes and just tack it on at the end of the loan. Name withheld. Well, <laughs> I know it's been a long time since we had a significant strike, and most of the members don't know uh, that they actually run their local auto credit union. And in the past, now you should check with your own local credit union because they'll be posting some stuff here pretty soon. In the past, they've done exactly that. They've abated payments during the strike because you run it, okay? You run it. So, you know, they're putting a little cash away to make sure they got cash right now for everybody and they have access to it, but they they do that. They abate the, the payments during strike. Is that your recollection, Jeff? Yep, sure is. Yeah, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and machinations and start stuff that's already there, um, you know. But it's a good idea. I mean, you know, uh, just know that uh, you check check with your local uh, credit union to verify what we just said here. But we don't believe that you have to, you know, reinvent the wheel. It's already out there for you. That's why we run the credit unions. We we elect people, and they are from our ranks. And that's why we have such programs in place. Okay. Go ahead, Jeff. Some of us don't know what Jeff is talking about regarding the UAW Constitution. And he explained all that to us. Name withheld. Sure, we're going to talk about that later in the show. Um, we'll get into a little bit of it. Thank you, Jeff. I know they'll uh, understand better. A lot of people just simply don't know. We heard that a lot last little bit. So, uh, Three, I'm uh, not sure why Local Union 1112 President Dave Green is moving, but I want to express my and my friend's thanks for all he did in attempts to stop the plant from closing. Name withheld. Uh, we're going to address that a little more in detail later in the show. So, But thank you for your, your time and consideration to, to send that message. So, thank you. Number four, can retirees walk on the picket line? Name withheld. Uh, they can walk on the picket line everywhere but the state of Michigan. Uh, Michigan, we, we can't have picket lines. Uh, you know, mandated by the Republican-controlled Senate lawmakers here in the state. So, whatever way else. Retirees can walk on the picket line. There you go, Jeff. Good answer. Uh, and uh, th- again, that was si- that was passed in law by the uh, Michigan House Representatives, all uh, Republican-controlled, the Senate, all Republican-controlled, and signed by the uh, Governor Snyder, and he has an R behind his name. He's uh, been term-limited. So, uh, number five, I cannot believe that the U.S. president actually tweeted, I should be president for life because I'm so good-looking and smart. Any thoughts? Well, I served in the United States military, 
It's been a long time ago, but I served, and each and every other member of the United States military took an oath to uphold the Constitution. The Constitution says there's term limits to four-year terms, no more than ten years. I served as well as every other person served not to have this dictator for life occur in the United States. And president for life is not some joke. It's not funny to even bring up somebody thought it was a joke. This is not a joke. As far as I'm concerned, he's crossed the line. And I have nothing more to say good about the man. I have put up with Republicans my whole career. I didn't like them, didn't like their policies, but I, in large part, respected them. I no longer have respect for this president when he said that. I'm sad to say that because even presidents from the Republican Party, I realized that we needed to support them. When you say you want to be president for life, you've crossed the line. And it's a line you can't recross. It's a bell that's been rung that can't be unrung. And people need to start wrapping their head around who this guy really is. Somebody posted, well, we have the Republican Party, we have the Democratic Party, and we have the Trump Party. And that seems to be the case. Oh, I I can't I can't wrap my head around President for Life, not even as a joke, coming out of the man's who is president of the United States mouth. So uh, I don't like getting into a lot of politics here, but that's something that our democracy is at risk when we have people in the pre- office of the president, in the White House, from the Oval Office, saying such things in a tweet. Start wrapping your head around that, folks. Any comments, Jeff? It's, I agree with you, Leroy. It's shameful, and they've been talking about it on the new talk shows all weekend long, and it's, just, it's unacceptable. Right. You know, this, this guy has no knowledge of the Constitution, anything, but I hear uh, Mr. Putin's coming to D.C. here sometime this week. Won't that be nice? Right. Right. Well, I don't know what day he's coming. I haven't been listening to the, the news particularly about all of this. I saw it, and I was absolutely aghast. Uh, I can tell you each and every veteran, I'm going to say it again, each and every veteran took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And this flies in the face of all of that. We served so that this would not be occurring. And this wasn't a joke. It was a prod to see how much pushback he got from or support from his own people. 
And I can't imagine his own people supporting this other than try to say it was a joke, which it's not. You know, I I mean, John McCain asked both George W. Bush and, and Obama to speak at his funeral, and they accepted. And it was, uh, you know, an incongruity that's just amazing. But they came there and they spoke, and they spoke highly of veterans man who had been vilified by a lot of other people, including this president. But they came. And in the end, they had respect. George W. Bush served in the United States Military Reserve. His father was a distinguished pilot in World War II. Jimmy Carter was a graduate of the United States Military Academy. We've had some distinguished veterans as president who always, always, up until this past week, sought to uphold the Constitution. And they crossed the line. And you all need to understand that. This is serious, people. This is our democracy. This is your happy little game time and play time that's always been protected by us veterans and it's about to go away because of something that got said right here openly in public. I don't speak for the other veterans, but I can say what we're supposed to be upholding to. And oh, by the way, if shit gets bad, we get called back in no matter what age we are because we know how to get stuff done. And the officers are always, always an officer in the United States military, whether retired or not, or former military veteran. So enough said about that. This is serious stuff, folks. I don't want to get into it too much, but I'm going to tell you, that's a line that's been crossed and a bell that's been rung that can't be unrung, and it's not good. And you all need to start getting your head around it. Thank you for my indulging my opinion. Okay, I think Jeff is up. Well, no, we have the the uh, yeah, Jeff, you have the definition. Yeah, definition uh, is M O U, and that means memorandum of understanding. Most generally used to change an existing labor agreement during the existing CBA, which is a collective bargaining agreement, um, usually without the ratification of the general membership. There's a... Nothing should be changed, in my opinion, without the ratification of the membership. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, This week's quote, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. That's from C.S. Lewis. So, Jeff, um, you have a little report, uh, quite a big report, actually, uh, that you're going to explain some things, and uh, maybe I'll come in behind it a little bit and, and, you know, support what you said, or if you did 
you know, enough, and I don't think I need to say anything. I'll just stay out of it. So uh, do your best there, brother. All right. First one is, what is a local CBA? That is, CBA means Collective Bargaining Agreement. That's usually at the plant level, negotiated by your local leadership, chairman, bargaining team, and that would help schedule your vacations and stuff like that. Um, what is the national CBA? Again, CBA is collective bargaining agreement. That is what's being discussed right now with the Detroit Three Ford, GM, Chrysler, and the international. Uh, Negotiators, so that's a lot of them going on there. What are local union bylaws? Those are bylaws that are uh, made for each local. Usually, it follows the same language in the in the constitution on several items, but it's. Again, it's run by the local. You can do you can change bylaws, but you gotta have three hearings and a vote before it gets passed. And if it doesn't get approved by the international, you don't can't you can't change it. Fourth one, what is the UAW Constitution? The UAW Constitution is how we are supposed to run our our union. Um, we, as we've talked about in the past, we've caught our leadership by many sections of the UAW Constitution. Um, they're supposed to help improve uh, safety, improve wages, improve working conditions, um, things along those lines. Um, that is what the UAW Constitution is. And you can find that on, online at the UAW.org website, and you can read it for yourself. It's quite long. It's very important because a lot of these leaders are not abiding by the Constitution. And so to talk about more of the temporary language in the contract, the ramifications, Article 13, Section 22, it, it shall be left to the discretion of the local union as your plan to determine the duration of the period for which work permits are issued. In no case, however, shall work permits be issued to any worker for a period of more than three consecutive months. Now, 
that is in the Constitution. It's in our contract. And this is a prime example that they are not following the Constitution because we've had a lot of part-time workers working three, four years without being hired in full-time. So that has to change. And our national negotiators need to have a foot up their ass if they don't start following the UAW Constitution. That's what I got there, right? Okay, Jeff. Uh, we have. I, I want to follow up on your report just a little bit. So, you know, the, the Constitution exists. A lot of people don't know that it exists. And you know, it tells you who is a member, uh, what a member is, what the members, regular member, what a regular member's duties are. You know, like you know, registering to vote, or and and actually balloting, making sure you vote. Uh, you know, to do your best to abide by the Constitution. Uh, it tells you uh, uh, things like what the offices are all the offices, and what the duties of each office at the local union level, at the standing committee level, and at the international level. Each one of those uh, are spelled out in the Constitution. It just goes into a lot of things. It tells you what to do if somebody's violated the Constitution. It tells you how you can appeal if you don't feel you've received essential justice on a certain item uh, that is important to you. Uh, and uh, there's just a, a number of things, you know, what the election committee is and what their responsibilities are, what uh, uh, in their handbooks in particular, the election committee has to enforce 29 U.S.C. Uh, 504, which deals with uh, people that have certain types of felonies or if they're a communist or have uh, any uh, affiliations with uh, organizations that are not uh, allowed by federal law. Uh, the uh, presidents and, and all members and essentially are required to enforce the Constitution and to enforce federal law and to try and change it if it's not labor friendly. It tells a lot of things about what's what's needed. Now, we do have a lot of people, uh, I'm going to change up here a little bit, a lot of people in the switchboard, and I just see this, saw this hand up a few minutes ago, and uh, let's bring on our, our uh, friend uh, Tom Albrecht. Uh, he's from the Lordstown, Youngstown, Ohio area, and is uh, they worked as a shop committee uh, at local 1714 many years and did some other things with regard to safety and customer care. So, uh, Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, uh, Leroy. Uh, uh, it's uh, been a hot day down here again in uh, Youngstown. Uh, just came back from the Saxon Club picnic and uh, turned the show on and Thought I'd get in here and say hello to you and Jeff tonight. Well, thank you. How you doing, Tom? I don't know. I'm doing better than you are because you didn't know how you were doing when you first come on, but I know. <laughs> but I'm doing great, Jeff. 
<laughs> He's not no, hiding anymore through his report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of things going on I gotta take care of. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you down here when we have the family reunion at the Saxon Club. Uh we'll get you into some uh uh traditional food here, Saxon food, uh German food, uh Saxons are actually from Transylvania originally, but uh, I call it Romania today. But uh, we have um, many traditions similar to what uh, uh, the German uh, people have. And uh, actually, our language is pretty mirrored with each other. So I had a good time. And uh, at the end of August, if you're in the area, you and Leroy, come on down. We'll drink some beer and eat some uh, 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 winter schnitzel. Inner snitches. <laughs> Whatever the hell that is, yeah. <laughs> I am sitting here with a book on my table next to my computer called Diabetes for Dummies. So I have to do some reading. So, Tom, you got any comments on what we've talked about so far? I know you were listening. No, not, not not really. But uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things going on here in Lordstown uh, over the last uh, past week here, and uh, people have been getting visits from FedEx, and uh, they're coming hot and heavy, I guess. And we're just trying to keep the morale of the folks that. Uh, I used to represent, and, uh, you know, a lot of the retirees are going to have to jump in here pretty soon the way that way it's going. Uh, I think the last I heard, we were down to around 400 people that uh, are still left. Uh, most of those are already laid off from uh, March or June 1st. But uh, we do have a handful of people still in the plant, fortunately, and uh, it's sad to say it sounds like probably – the end of this uh, next month, everybody probably will have a letter going somewhere. And if they don't put in, they're going to end up God knows who, where, who, where they're going to end up, uh, uh, Arlington or whatever. But a lot of a lot of folks now are, are pretty much getting what they want. They're putting in for what they want. So it's it's sad. Uh, uh, it's like breaking up a whole family. I mean, it, it's it's just terrible. Uh, down here, the decisions some of these people have to make in light of uh, uh, older folks. I, I was talking to a young lady uh, yesterday morning, and uh, and uh, she had to pass it up. Uh, her mother, she was the only one left in the family to take care of her mother, a very elderly woman in her 90s, and uh, God rest her soul, she just passed away, I believe it was yesterday when I talked to her, and uh, she was pretty upset, so She's hanging out there in nowhere land. If they don't get a product, I guess uh, uh, she's coded as an L34. Uh, uh, she's pretty much done with General Motors, and uh, it, it's just sad. I believe uh, the last count there were 414 of those types of folks. So that's all I got to say down here to, uh, in regards to the Lordstown situation, uh, uh, Leroy and Jeff. But uh, I, uh, I hope we touch uh, on some of the key issues about uh, what these companies are saying to uh, our negotiators up there, and uh, 
you know, we got a good team up there, and, uh, you know, Danny, uh, Morgan, and uh, Dave Green have done their best down here to to keep us together, and, uh, you know, now it's in their hands. We're just going to sit back and uh, support them and what they have to do to try to make things right. The footprint at General Motors, I don't mean to speak for Ford or FCA. I worked at General Motors. It's shrinking vastly, uh, I believe, since uh, 2009 when uh, uh, the current Mary is bragging about putting $23 billion into plants here in the United States. If you break it down with the number of plants we, we have, that sounds like she's uh, just maintaining roof repairs in which she has to uh, with, with the facilities. Uh, we certainly haven't, uh, since 2009, seen any gains in numbers of employees uh, working for General Motors that's gone south. And at that same time frame, she's opened up, I believe, two or three plants down there in Mexico and Brazil uh, or renewed a contract down in Brazil. But uh, nothing much here as far as jobs for our people. We're just shrinking and shrinking, and our people are, uh, are, are losing and losing. Communities are being dev- devastated. So, uh I know that uh, the negotiating team up there uh, are going to do their damnedest, but don't don't put up with her bullshit. I mean, stand your ground. Uh, we have uh, the the edge here, and uh, she's behind the eight ball. If you look at it from the perspective, and Leroy, you and I have talked to, have talked about this a few few times. And if you want to bring out those points, that's that's fine. But I don't think Mary's in a win-win situation for herself. I think uh, we have the hammer here, and it's time we lose it, use it, uh, or lose it. But uh, I think we all need to support that negotiating team up there, and I think they're going to do a fine job. I want to compliment Danny Morgan and Dave Green for the fine job they've done down down here at Lordstown trying to hold this thing all together. Right, yeah. Um, you know, we... We have to get around, uh, around and support the national negotiating teams. I don't care what your axe is to grind with the international, with any of the stuff that's gone on or going on. These people have your life, your life, and everyone's lives in their hands. Okay? And there are a lot of things that need to be addressed Okay, I think uh, we we talked about and we're going to talk more about them. But you know the whole notion of job preservation and uh, re-insourcing and repatriating these jobs, bring them back from overseas, bring them back from Mexico, bring them back. I think I mentioned last week on the show. You know, I I talked to a lot of these tier two and tier three supplier uh, members of. Of ours, or actually, are you know members of the UAW? They'd love to be uh, resourced back into the umbra- uh, the uh, umbrella. The only issue they have is seniority. They want to come with their seniority, and it's fair to, you know, and that's been done over time. You know, uh, when Packard became Delphi and those people moved, some had their full seniority, and some chose to go a different way and didn't get it. But most got their seniority uh they uh you know have that opportunity you can write it into an agreement there's uh 
a lot of cases, if you go look it up, where the NLRB has supported when uh, there's a merger of some uh, measure, supported the bringing of the new people into the master agreement, supported their uh, bringing their seniority with them. And it's not just, you know, the auto workers. It's other other instances as well. So uh, secondly would be the temporaries. And, you know, we have the heat on some of this stuff, you know. Uh, and this is no game. This isn't, a, you know, a threat. We promise, just like a military person takes an oath to uphold the United States Constitution, we promise here to uphold the UAW Constitution in two instances that I can think of. One is the temporary situation. And if you're not a seniority employee, you can only be given a work permit for no greater no greater than three months. That's 90 days. That's what the old contract said. They keep saying this is a... a a clean slate agreement. We're going to look at everything and, and take it back to where it needs to be. Well, we hope you do. But the corporations need to understand also that they have an obligation to accept us because we're their certified representative, the members that uh, we represent there and their workers. They have to accept all of us, including our Constitution. And our Constitution says that we work in the interest of the membership. We went through that on one of our shows. And in the case of General Motors, Appendix K and J at Ford, Appendix J at Ford, are items that require some of the leadership to make the company competitive. That's not our job. That's not in the interest of the membership. Sure, making sure the company's viable is important, but it's not our job. That's why you haven't seen the speed-ups written, because they made made it the bargaining chair's job to make the company more competitive. And if they run a speed-up down the pipe, okay, it goes against the agreement for the chairperson to try and give essential justice to that, and that's simply wrong, okay? So we need to get a few things straight with the Constitution that are in the collective bargaining agreement. We're spending a lot of time on that in the last few weeks, and this is important stuff. Next, the pathway to top wage needs to be shorter. Of course, retirees need things. Skilled trades, we don't talk a lot about it, but we need to protect and preserve lines of demarcation for the skilled trades, their wage base. They have virtually become the same wage as general membership. And there used to be a substantial, a substantial difference between skilled trades and the actual membership. That needs to be adjusted. Their working conditions, the apprentice program, all of these need attention. 
We need Leroy? to make sure that our our uh, civil rights women's committees are active, and that that's addressed in the con- contract that they be given support, so that people who are perpetrators of sexual harassment, etc., are dealt with in the best way possible to protect the person who is the victim of said sexual harassment, etc. These are things that are important to each and every aspect. We need to re- reinforce civil, the civil rights and the protected classes that are already in the uh, contract, CBA, collective bargaining agreement, and already in the uh, UAW Constitution. These are important items. It's time you start to say something. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with with everything you said, but if, if we go back and, and you look what we've given since 2007, uh, in the 2007 agreement, as I can remember it, uh, when we gave away our health care and shifted it for the retirees into a VBA account, when we instituted the two-tiered uh, uh, and, and created a different class of worker and eliminated pensions for those folks, uh, wage increases replaced by lump sum uh, bonuses. If you remember back in 07, I think we had uh, – Four pay raises of, uh, I believe the first one was three, three, and then I think it was four percent. We gave that up, uh, and, and then we reopened that 2007 agreement up in 2009. And and this is a really important thing because you wouldn't see all this movement today had we not done these things. I, I realize that the company was going through bankruptcy, but what gratitude do they show us? for what we gave up, and that's why I'm mentioning these things. In 2009, we opened up, reopened up the 2007 agreement, and we gave up the jobs bank. We eliminated that. And and you can, you can express your thoughts on that in regards to would we have this movement today where all these people are, will, would be uprooted from their families? We gave up the right to strike in, in that uh, reopening of the 2007 agreement, and health care coverage got cut way back, if you remember correctly. And then in 2007, in that agreement, uh, we did get some pay increases for our two-tiered people. Uh, the profit-sharing uh, formula did change for the better. And uh, uh, that's when they committed, I believe it was the 2011 agreement, Leroy, to, to insource the work that they had outsourced to Mexico back to the states so we wouldn't be going through these situations where these plants are not running at capacity. If we if we had that language, there wouldn't be a plant shut down today. And then finally in the 2015 uh, agreement, uh, the wage increases across the board and a pathway for the, uh, the workers to come up to uh, uh, full wage, the two-tiered now being term, uh, uh, terminology being used for them as employees in progression. However, we did lose anything over eight hours in a day's work. With uh, if we worked ten hours, we wouldn't get paid overtime unless, unless we put a forty-hour work weekend. And, uh, and 
no reinstatement of cost of living allowance. That was the biggest issue uh, out there uh, that we gave up uh, uh, back, I believe it was 2009. Uh, that would have given virtually everybody around a $4.60 an hour raise that would be in their pocketbook forever. I mean, these lump stump bonuses doesn't do any anybody any good. So, But if you want to uh, go back on that jobs bank uh, and the elimination of that, I mean, these are the real issues that we need to address because if you're not living it, you don't know what these people are going through. And my heart goes out to my prayer every night for every one of them. Whether you're at DHAM, whether you're at Oshawa, whether you're at Warren, whether you're at White Marsh in Baltimore or Lordstown, uh, you know, it, it's just heartbreaking what these people are having to go through. Right. And a lot of this would have been prevented if the corporation had upheld their promises to keep work and bring work back into the United States. So, yeah, they, they you know, they promised this, we'll, we'll bring work back, and then they never did it. And they went, went for the, the cheap labor and uh you know we just didn't have enough pushback and they you know uh we don't get into any reasons why but we haven't had enough pushback and there needs to be a lot of pushback this time so that we uh, begin to get some of this straight now you mentioned the the jobs bank this came into being in 1984 and a lot of people didn't understand it came under a lot of scrutiny during the uh, 2008-2009 period leading up to the bankruptcy and where they did away with it, I believe, in the 2009 agreement when they reopened that contract because the 7 was uh, the regular and 9 was the reopening and 11 was back to regular again. So um, when they did that, they did away with that. Now, let me tell you what the – everybody's mad because people were sitting around not doing anything. Well, let me tell you what that was all about. All about. They said, for every two jobs that get outsourced out of the country or into another company, for every two, one job became protected. And that protected job was not allowed to ever work in the plant ever again. And they were to go out and get educated do community service, sit in uh, a uh, facility somewhere, uh, just sitting there twiddling their thumbs and getting full pay. That protected our workforce. And had that been the case in the past four years when we went from 52 to 37,000, 52,000 to 37,000, it is 15,000 jobs gone, right? We have seven pe- seven, seven, 7,500 people sitting in a jobs bank somewhere doing nothing, being paid by the corporation as a penalty for outsourcing work to another country. This was a good thing, not a bad thing. Could they have been used in better and different ways? Yeah. But we protected work in the United States. People forget we're not just the working class. We are the buying class, too. And when you take money out of our hands, 
by all manners of ways. That peasants insurance, the difference between uh, a payroll withholding tax capture and a sales tax capture in a global environment that sucks money out of our country and jobs out of our country, when you do that, you're taking money out of the buyer's hands. And we need pushback because these companies will not survive. You're watching it right before your eyes with Nissan and Ford already announcing horrible numbers, horrible numbers. And don't expect them to be any better for FCA and GM. So that's the long and short of the jobs bank. It's a good thing, and it likely needs to be re-implemented when they consider job preservation or at least member protection. And that also protects the dues base, too. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, – you got any, anybody – Jeff, you got any more on that? Let me guess. No, I don't. You're right. Okay. I want to give you an opportunity. I don't want to just take this. I want to talk a little bit about Lordstown. You know, uh, as was reported this past week, uh, David Green, president of Local Union 1112, uh, has accepted a force uh, – decided to uh, – uh, take a forced letter to another facility in Ohio. Uh, and the reason that he's got his already is because he's been laid off. General Motors, in their infinite wisdom, probably in violation of the national agreement, saw uh, it uh, uh, to fit to lay him off. Now, none of us agree with that, but they did. And as a laid-off person, when member, an officer actually, still, uh, when uh, he uh, received a letter, he had to take it. But there's more letters coming. So decisions are being made by family members and others who may still be working. But there are a lot more requisitions, around 700 outstanding, and about 400, and what Tom said, 414 yet to to receive a forced letter, and there's about 400 that have turned them down. So, uh, so we're seeing this uh, unwinding of the membership at Lordstown and being shipped across the nation. These 400, there are 700 letters waiting for them. So there's a lot of that going on right now. Uh, expect the leadership to be making decisions, all of them, including anybody that may be working in in the plant at this time. All of them making decisions on where they're supposed to be uh, having an opportunity to go to work at. Or they simply won't have a job. That's what somebody already reported or posted on the the show uh, when we posted it out. Somebody said, yeah, if they don't go, they're not going to have a job. It's quite that simple. And you don't have to be laid off to get a forced letter. You don't have to be. They can do whatever they damn well please about sending letters out. And if they're moving all the work or effectively closing the plant, if you don't take it, you won't have a job. So um, that's just the way it is out there regarding this. And so that's why... Uh, Brother Dave Green has accepted one, and there's more coming for everybody. 
that Salt Lake laid off or actually actively in the plan. At least that's our opinion because it looks like they're going to shut it down. And in our opinion, they're going to put a little fence around the thing so that nobody can transfer in or out. And you, once you're trained to build an electric car, you'll probably be working there. That's our opinion, though. But nobody knows. Nobody's got a crystal ball. But it sure looks like that's what's going on right now. And we don't know well, if they're going to put in there. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I, uh, the, the letter Dave got uh, was a voluntary move. He did put in for Bedford, and uh, he was uh, thinking along the lines with the seniority date and the folks that were currently being forced. There was only like uh, 75, 80 people different. So if he didn't take where he wanted to be to be with family, his brother lives in the Cincinnati area and his daughter's going to the university down there in Cincinnati, he took. He chose to uh, be by family because he knew in a week or two he would have been forced. God knows to who, where, who or what, where, you know, whatever. Right. And right. So you got to make decisions yeah. for your own best interest yeah. Uh, yeah. before you do get forced. But you know, uh, they're only going to offer you know an opportunity and then a force, and then you're either going to accept it or refuse it, and that's the way it is. Uh, if you refuse it, then you're going to get into that, what, L34 set status, laid off without any benefits uh, other than unemployment that's offered by the government. Okay, so you lose your your sub-benefits and your health care and your ability to move. And I personally disagree with all of that because I think the, the sub-pay was implemented to protect you regardless uh, if you – turn down a move to an area outside your area, local area higher. If you turn something down locally, then, yeah, you've kind of stepped all over it, right? But if if you turn down something that's, you know, 1,100 miles away, you shouldn't lose your sub-pay. That's my opinion, but it's not, you know, they're doing it. That's how they have fashioned the agreement, and that's what people have approved and said ratified agreement so you got to be careful what you're ratifying folks so uh yeah but, let's, uh, let's not let yeah, it happen again. So we got that clear right so yeah. uh you got more on that tom uh on the layoffs you mean yeah you start to say uh, no, I, I don't have anything for, further on, on the layoffs okay. other right. than the fact you yeah. know, you're, you're so, going to So that's to why possibly. Dave's uh, had, had uh, t- you know, he's made a family decision to move, uh, and uh, Brother Green, the president there at the moment, and uh, that's, uh, you know, it's a personal decision. I mean, these are tough decisions for people to be making, okay, and you make the best opportunity that you can get. So uh, he's accepted that work, and uh, it's our opinion that everybody is going to get a letter before too long. So, uh, and, uh, you know, we have that kind of, you know, second hand or third hand, so we'll kind of go with that. Uh, but it looks like that's, that's kind of where it's at uh, regarding that. Um, so uh, the uh, eleven twelve situation, uh, is not as good as we'd like it to be. We believe there's probably work coming there, but nobody's got a crystal ball. That's just our best uh, educated guess based on the information that we have before us. 
uh, and uh, for sure, uh, uh, the chairperson of General Motors is apparently bound determined to have everybody out of that area or uh, in an L34 status. So I uh, want to talk about that lady and others in her situation regarding that she had turned down an opportunity to move because her mother was literally uh, in her last days, and within two weeks her mom passed away. Uh, there are a lot of people in that circumstance, and when there is extenuating circumstances and people can now make another decision, let's say within a six-month period from the time they had to make a decision, if they can prove extenuating circumstances, we believe that that ought to be given another opportunity. They ought to be given another opportunity to move with their seniority to another facility. And that's for other people to administer. We feel that would be um, humane for some of the people that have had to make a really difficult decision based on family matters that have now changed, and they're free to do what they need to do. She's not the only one, so uh, we know you listen, so consider that, okay? Um, uh, what else do we have here? So you kind of know why people are starting to make these decisions at Lordstown, and that was our headline. Uh, promises kept and are made and not kept. We've t discussed that. Uh, the uh, uh, clearly, the as Tom said, the, the unallocated plants of Baltimore, Deham, Warren Powertrain, Lordstown, and and Oshawa as being closed uh, are all affected by this. Now we don't represent Oshawa, but certainly if General Motors had kept its promises, one of the best Q uh, was uh, built in BIQ. Uh, plants in North America would probably still be open. So a lot of things going on that aren't right right now by the corporation. And they're making decisions based on the here and now, like they did when they closed truck plants back in 08, 09. And now they wish they had those plants because the things have changed. But they're going to change back because it always does happen that way. Okay, so... Um, Tom, uh, uh, we want to talk about what uh, a contract looks like to uh, the, the bargaining, uh, members of the bargaining uh, committee. And uh, I think you, you're going to do it from a perspective of a shop committee uh, or the bargaining committee. And uh, I may have some some things to add to that, but I know you wanted to say just discuss uh, what about the uh, uh, what a, uh, an agreement is and when it be and when it come, becomes fulfilled. So do you want to touch base on that a little bit from a perspective of a uh, you know shop committee person is a pretty high level negotiator at the local level. Well, we 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 didn't do it by ourselves. So in our case, we had seven people, uh, six of which uh, were district committeemen, and uh, we had a chairman. We took local demands from the membership. 
brought them together at the shop committee, compiled them. The company did the same thing on their demands, and we exchanged the demands between each other. We sat down at sub-tables, basically, departments. If I represented material handling and uh, metal assembly, I sat down with those folks. uh, And then we had uh, possibly another person from second or third shift. They'd sit down in the same negotiations. Uh, We'd go over what our employees were demanding, uh, and then they would go with uh, theirs. Then we'd go back from those sub-tables back to the main table with with our, our chairman and the other uh, people sitting on the committee. Uh, sometimes all of us would be at the sub-table also, depending on wh- what you were representing. But uh, And then we discussed the issues and in regards to what management was going and, and come up with a game plan. But basically, that's what it was. Proposals, counter-proposals. We put them on paper. Uh, We tried to get to the middle, in most cases, win-win situation for both parties. You can't go wrong if both parties make out in the deal. And and we bring it back to the membership for the vote. Uh, We negotiated on behalf of every one of those employees in that plant. Uh, And uh, generally, the uh, context of that collective agreement, and typically would include Anything from wages, uh, hours, work, cleanup time. Uh, of course, benefits mainly was done at the national level. But our workplace rules and the big one, working conditions, uh, was the biggest one in every negotiations that I had been in. Uh, that was uh, a, a big key issue, and that had to be mutually agreed upon by both parties, and we never, ever had a hard time getting that done because most of the time you you go with OSHA requirements. General Motors at the international level and at the local level were always, always more stringent than what the government's policy, OSHA's policies had. But uh, that's it in a nutshell. We'd, We'd wrap it up, put it in writing, and take it to the membership for their vote, yay or nay, and uh, and basically that was it. That's that's the involvement you have. Sometimes those okay. negotiations, sometimes those okay. negotiations get wrapped up uh, quickly, and sometimes it takes months. Right. So, as as you know, mandatory subjects of bargaining are wages working conditions, and hours of employment. Those are the three mandatory subjects of bargaining that the National Labor Relations Board and the Wagner Act uh, lay out as mandatory subjects of bargaining. So those are your big issues that you're there about. Uh, So then once Uh, you – well, there's lots of – you know, inside of that, there's lots of things. But those are the mandatory subjects of bargaining. They have to negotiate on those have to the management does and so does the union okay that's written that's spelled out in the national labor relations act and in the national labor relations board handbook so uh there are a lot of other issues to be considered that's not saying they aren't but those are the mandatory subjects of bargaining now uh, on any issue that is signed by the bargaining team 
when does that become fulfilled? When you actually perform or do that, right? When when we put our names on the on the piece of paper? Yeah, and once when you, you sign something and you you, you agree that this yeah. is gonna happen and you, it, and that, it's not that, fulfilled that, until it does happen, right? That is that is correct, but there's another step after we sign at the local level, and I think you know what that step is. <laughs> tell the membership or tell the listeners. Well, the next step is once we sign off the local level, we send it up for approval at, at the international, and usually the international looks it over and sends it back to us with a EA or an A. Right. Right, because the international has to approve all contracts. Okay. Well, Sometimes well, we just done by the regional director on a, a, a smaller bargaining unit, uh, and obviously the big bargaining units that are nationwide, all of the regional directors and the officers have to approve it. So, uh, so then if you don't get that done, then it's not fulfilled, right? Like the kind of like General Motors didn't bring the work back, right? That's they didn't correct. fulfill their part of the bargaining committee or bargaining. Agreement. Mm, that's correct. So if somebody doesn't do their part, then it's unfulfilled, and the other side has a right to be mad at them. I suppose. I guess. Right. So. I, I guess. I guess you would call that bargaining bad faith. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's also spelled out in uh, the National Labor Relations Act uh, in uh, 29 U.S.C. 158. On for both management and the union bargaining in bad faith. Okay, so unfair labor practice comes under. Uh, so the uh, the elements of a uh, the legal elements of a contract, and you can check with your local lawyer if you don't believe what I'm telling you. So, but they are uh, offer somebody offers something, you have to accept it. You accept it. Both sides accept it. Okay, either side makes an offer. Those are our resolutions, et cetera. Okay, they have their own. They say X, Y, and Z. This is what we want. Okay, those are the offers. You come to some mutual agreement. Then you accept it. Okay, and in legal terms, offer acceptance and consideration. Consideration is not always money. It could be uh, some sort of... uh, uh, help, aid or assistance, they might say, oh, we want to have a anti-fatigue mat on XYZ job. Well, if they don't put it on there, then the consideration hasn't been fulfilled, therefore the contract's not fulfilled. Offer, acceptance, consideration, those are the three. And in some schools, the mutuality is also considered uh, one of the elements uh, a contract. Now, contracts are very, very important to everybody in the United States, especially because while I was working on the VIBA, you know, making a legal challenge to the VIBA when it became 2005, 6, 7, and 8, uh, I was approached by a lot of business people who said, this is a real problem because if contracts can be broken this way by a federal court, then our world that is full of contracts 
on a daily basis, we live and die by these, is now uh, very, very problematic. So they encouraged me to do my best not to break that contract, which in the end was. A lot of people didn't think that was right, but it happened. We, you know, I still think the corporation has a duty and a responsibility to health care and pensions for retirees. That's my opinion. So um, having said all of that, uh, those are the elements of a uh, contractual agreement, offer, acceptance, consideration, and mutuality. You wouldn't be negotiating with a golf course if you were an auto company. Okay, so that's they have to be have something in 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 common, otherwise known as mutuality. So I wanted to make sure everybody understood that. Uh, you know, we as negotiators and bargainers have another step in that process where it's ratified by the membership, but that's uh, also part of the acceptance uh, element of a contract. Okay, so. Uh, it was uh, a little different when uh, Tom explained it from a shop committee person uh, uh, position. A little bit different, but very similar to the, ele- the legal elements of a contract. And if you don't f- fulfill consideration, the contract is not complete. So if you agree to something and then not abide by it, then the contract's not complete, and somebody's going to get mad at you. We're going to get mad at management for not bringing work back from Mexico or whatever's not fulfilled in in an agreement when you put your name on it. Okay, so, uh, and then the MOUs, according to the whole notion of uh, the membership membership, ratifying an agreement according to our Constitution uh, are problematic in and of themselves. But that's another whole issue that we don't want to get into right now necessarily, but we believe it's wrong to change an agreement during the existence of that agreement. And we've had a lot of discussion over that uh, over the years, in fact. So uh, having said all of that, uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything that we said we were going to cover um, we did the principles of contract. Tom gave his part. Uh, so, Jeff, do you have anything to say about any topic we've talked about or anything under the universe? No, not at all. You're right. You good? Okay. Tom, I'm yourself? Good. No, I'm 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 fine. Uh... Okay. Okay, so the only thing I have to add is, you know, uh, do what you think best to support the national negotiating team. They're doing their level best. There are a lot of people concerned that that they're not being supported. And we support them here, and we ask you to support them. The one way to do that is with this Red Shirt Wednesday, and some people doing Red Shirt Friday, too, for other reasons, though. But still, it shows solidarity. So uh, there are a lot of people out there blowing about, let's have solidarity. But 
you know, they've been critical of red shirt bait, if you can imagine. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, let me tell you, it, it's real simple to show your solidarity by putting a red shirt on in the morning. And whether it's just at your local or outside community, it'd be kind of cool if the whole nation started wearing red shirts and give Congress a real good message every Wednesday. They uh, look around and say, well, what's all those, you know, constituents wearing red for on Wednesday? Well, you know, we're worried about our our part of the apple here in the United States. So uh, do what you can. Uh, try and wear a red shirt. And nobody's perfect with it. Uh, try and wear a red shirt on Wednesdays. And... Uh, if you want to do the things some of the people are doing, wearing a, a, a day glow yellow or green so that you don't have to wear your vest, then, you know, that shows solidarity as well. Uh, that's brought to my attention this past week. Uh, so, you know, just do your best to, sh- to show some solidarity for the uh, bargaining team. Most of these people don't have anything to do with whatever the international has done in the past. And they have our lives in their hands. So if we don't support them and let them know that we support you and let management know that we support them, then we're not doing our job, okay? They need our support. All right. Uh, with nothing else out there, I'll just say uh, we're close to show up here. And uh, good night, uh, listeners. Good night, Jeff and Tom. Can I go? Good night, Leroy. Good night, Leroy, and uh, good night, Jeff. Good night, listeners, and God bless all of our membership during these times. Good night.